Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, hello. It's good to see your face. Hi. Just- hello. It's been a little while. I know it's it's been a little while. Uh, we we took a week off. If there was ever a, a week to take off, I think this most recent one was that week. Um, now you're also just driving across the country, so that was also the reason we we took off. But you know, things have changed. Uh, I, quite I decided rapidly. to drive a car across the country as an act of political protest. <laughs> it was me just driving with my Biden Harris flag. This is from your the top of my Nissan Rogue. This is your march for unity. You know, you're yes. you're like no longer Stop, the coastal elite. Start the count. Hashtag keep <laughs> counting. I got a vanity plate for the occasion. It was great. Right. Exactly. High fiving poll workers as you drive through the town. Yes, and dropping off my extra ballots, of course. Natu- naturally. Yours and mine. No, we took a week off. Uh, you know, our our podcast last week would have been a drop in the bucket, a drop in the ocean, you know, and we didn't need to do that. And like Alex said, we had uh, previous responsibilities, previously planned responsibilities. Um, the rest of this podcast that you will hear was recorded on the Thursday before you're hearing this. This section was recorded on the Sunday before you're hearing this. And that is because on Friday morning, Alex, we actually got legitimate news that made it worth re-recording our podcast. And Alex, I want you to brace yourself. It was good news. It was good, good news. Good news in the baseball world. Yeah. This is, this is like a real rarity. Usually when we record the podcast a few days ahead of time... If we're, like, like a, oh, we're good, dude. If there, yeah, we're we're like we're good. If a story breaks, we talk about it, and we're kind of like, yeah, I don't want to get on for five minutes to talk about this dumb thing that happened. We're just gonna get angry about it. We'll talk about it next week. Is fine. This obviously could not wait, Bobby. Do you want to tell us, uh, tell the listener what happened? Even yes. though I'm sure everyone already knows. Yes, the Miami Marlins have hired Kim Ang, former assistant GM of the New York Yankees as well as, I believe, the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, to be their general manager. This is a landmark moment for baseball and a landmark moment for sports in North America in general. She is the first woman who will serve in that role for a franchise of one of the four major sports in our country. Um, I mean, oh, what what do we say? There's so much to break down about this move that it's just happening for the first time in 2020. But first of all, before we get ahead of ourselves and before we try to you know, analyze what it means for baseball, which is not the most inclusive sport that we have to be the first one to break this barrier, to break this glass ceiling. I want to say that this just, this just rules. This is amazing. And she is literally as, as qualified as you could possibly get. She served as an assistant GM for playoff baseball teams for 13 consecutive years in the late nineties and early two thousands. And she has been up for just about every high profile GM job. And she has always inconspicuously fallen short for whatever reason the organizations have decided to go in other directions but to see this news come across on Twitter come across the wire to borrow a phrase from 1875 
it was amazing. It was it was a jolt of energy for a sport that with everything that we're going to talk about in the rest of this episode really needed it. Yeah, it really is. I, it, it is a moment that is worth stopping and celebrating and actually taking this in, which is not a thing that we say very often about things that happen in baseball. It's kind of like, wow. Certainly like, not breaking news stories. <laughs> I would like to eject this from my consciousness immediately. Um, is usually kind of my gut reaction to baseball news. Uh, this is her name has been floating around as a potential GM for the better part of the last two decades. And this is a momentous occasion that we absolutely should celebrate. And also baseball. Guys, what 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 are we what are we doing here? You know, lots of discussion about how this is an outside the box hire, you know. This is uh this the the Marlins are really um laying it all on the line here. It's a risky move. Will it pay off? And uh nope, not true. She fits the mold uh, uh as good as anyone who occupies a GM position right now. Especially yeah. especially at a time when baseball is moving away from you know, guys who like have played the game and like they feel the game in their gut and they know the game and towards people who just like have a technically good understanding of baseball from the, frankly, from like the business perspective of things. She has been in the room for this shit for the longest time, right? Was with the White Sox in the 90s when they were good. Was with the... Dodgers was with the Yankees like like she has she she has like literally the resume to back this up and if you knew if you did not know her name or anything like that my guess is honestly she likely gets a job much sooner than she really did and I think this is it's important for baseball to interrogate kind of I don't know what took so damn long yeah and how far there still is to go. Yeah. Well, she served as senior vice president of baseball operations for a little thing called Major League Baseball for um, for the last few years. I actually don't know when she started that role. But I know that that's what the role that she was when she was up for the Mets GM job um, when Brody ended up getting it. So she's been in that role for at least a few years. And I got to say, like, this is the prototypical you have to be way more qualified than the average man to get this job. Like she is so much more qualified than Brody Van Wagen. And having seen what had happened in the last few years, and I'm speaking just from, from the perspective of a Mets fan, because that's what I am. It feels like maybe she would have done a better job and she had um, more chops um, for that role, but we'll leave that aside because we were going to talk a little bit more about Brody in the future of this episode. But I also want to say when we say these roles typically go to even though they were oftentimes reserved for former players and that was its own type of barrier to entry it sort of progressed to um your theo epstein type so it's like your your harvard or your ivy league grad typically white man and those two things should be thought of equally in terms of barriers to entry to these roles white and man and kim ang is an Asian woman too. And it's like, we should also be praising that element of it too. Of course, she is the first woman. She is not the first person of color to run a baseball team, but 
She's the first woman as well as the first Asian American to be a GM of a baseball franchise, which seems almost unfathomably regressive that it's 2020. Asian baseball has had the worldwide influence on the sport that it has, and we've never gotten representation from those communities in front offices in any meaningful way to the point where somebody built up the experience to then run a franchise. So again, that is another momentous occasion that we should be celebrating in this moment too. To your point with how unbelievably long it took, I, I hope that internally baseball is reckoning with that because Rob's statement is not great. His quote here in the New York Times, Kim's appointment makes history in all of professional sports and sets a significant example for the millions of women and girls who love baseball and softball. It's like, why? first of all, we're not talking about softball. We're talking about baseball. Yep, different sport. Thank you for shoehorning softball back into this the way that all women have been shoehorned into softball um, in this country and kept out of baseball. There's plenty of women who are still currently playing baseball. There's plenty of young girls who are playing baseball who will now look to Kim Ang and think, hey, I can now do this. I hope that the league is reckoning with that aspect of it. And I hope that Kim Ang can make an, a, a big league-wide impact because she did come from MLB. She has been working as senior vice president of baseball ops for the league. So then I hope now we can start to open these jobs up to more people than retreads or creative hires who are actually just still white guys but weren't players. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the last thing the last thing I'll say about that is I want to go back to your out of the box comment. That came from like anonymous sourcing from Craig Mish, who is a local radio guy and beat reporter for the Marlins, who didn't know who was going to be hired and tweeted like the day before or two days before um, that he had heard from people that it was going to be a quote out of the box hire. If this is an out of the box hire, an assistant GM for 13 years and someone who is the senior vice president of baseball operations, I feel like you have to maybe reckon a little bit with your idea of who should fill these shoes. You know what I mean? Like, this is not out of the box. This is just not actively regressive and oppressive. Yeah, and I, I, also, I, I am hesitant to, you know, put too much weight on her shoulder. You know, this idea that she, you know, can be the one to, like, help push for change internally and, you know, be the face of a new, it's like, no, like she shouldn't have to bear that burden. Yeah. I understand that like she will, because that's the narrative that people are going to tack on to her, right? Regardless of what the Marlins do this uh, upcoming season, the next few seasons, it's going to be a referendum on like yeah. her, you know? Yeah, you're right. you're um, right. And, 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 it being the Marlins adds a whole other bizarre wrinkle, right? Like an organization that notoriously is like very hands-on with their GM and not exactly the um, the, the loosest with their drawstrings on the money bag, um, <laughs> <laughs> to, put, to put it nicely. Yeah, she's not running the Yankees, despite the fact that Derek Jeter is the one that hired her. And the right. Yankees connection there reportedly played a part in it. Yeah, and and so like I'm hoping that this opportunity isn't hampered by 
organizational incompetence. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think that Derek Jeter has the best track record of knowing what's right for the Marlins, but you know, well, <laughs> they're in a decent spot right now. And this is like, um, they seem to be like pivoting towards wanting to win at least like yeah. whatever that means in the context of what they're willing to spend. Like they're not actually, they're not in reverse anymore. At least they might not yeah. be in their, you know, maximum gear, but they're not in reverse anymore. So it's cool that she's good to get this opportunity and you're right to push back on hoping that she can make lead league wide change. I'm just saying, I hope that the presence that her presence in a front office and, you know, her personal connection to the league wide front office, the commissioner's office is the type of thing that makes Rob Manfred reflect on, Hey, this person that I know who was eminently qualified and has worked with me for the last, however many years is doing a good job in Miami has finally gotten this opportunity. Maybe I should look in the mirror more frequently and think, why aren't more people getting these opportunities in my sports with the owners who I have conference calls with every month or whatever. That's what I mean when I say that. And yeah, it's the same thing with like Alyssa Nacken, right? Like, that's such a massive story that Alyssa Nacken is in a dugout coaching when she's just a qualified coach to be in a dugout being a good coach. You know, it's like yeah. we shouldn't have to put that on her because that's not what she asked for. But right, you're exactly right that it will be a referendum. And in that case, fucking let's go Marlins. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. On the bandwagon. Yeah. Anything else to say on Kimang? Not at the moment. I'm sure we will talk more about this in the, the coming weeks and maybe um, invite uh, someone else on who, you know, brings a different perspective to uh, this piece of news, given that Bobby, yours and I, I think, are qu- uh, quite similar. Um, and quite well but, represented. <laughs> and quite well represented, exactly. Yeah, yeah, if you search, like, if you search for the breaking news, it's a lot of bylines of, of white beat reporters, white dudes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we'll look to we'll look to have more conversations about this throughout the offseason. I'm sure you know this will remain in the news and as the season gets closer we'll see what the Marlins are doing. Um for the rest of this podcast we've already recorded this. Um we set up a a little a fun little game of nine things that the nine biggest things that have happened since we recorded last. Of course, this is bigger than all of those things, which is why we came back to re-record that. So we did I guess this is a little um this is the 10th thing. This is like extra innings, except it's coming first. Right. So yeah. You so make is sense it like, of that. Is it like the ceremonial first pitch? Uh, the, the, uh, the opener. The, the ope there. Anybody you go. think of that yet? Anybody oh, think of that yet? Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're going to get into that. Uh, but before we do, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Basley. And you're listening to Tippy Pitches. Okay, here's how we're going to do this. We have come up with nine topics. The nine biggest topics that we have not covered in the last week that we... In the last two weeks that we have not had a podcast. Um, We are recording this Thursday, November 12th in the evening. So if something has happened since then, apologies. But, you know, we mentioned flexible schedules these days. Uh, I I always appreciate you giving the listener like the date and like time of day that we record this. Yeah. I mean, I 
uh, I like I, unironically, I think it's not, you know it sets the scene a little bit. Oh, thank I'm in you. I'm in my my office. Yeah. Um, I have a color coded bookshelf behind me to my. What are left. you wearing, bro? What are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> Tell the people about the Millennium Falcon shirt. No. Um, all that to say. If there's something that happens between Thursday evening and Monday morning, apologies. But you know what? You'll fucking figure it out from someone else. <laughs> We're going to do the nine biggest topics that have happened since we last talked, Alex. Um, and we're just going to kind of randomly pepper them in in any kind of order that we feel like because we didn't spend all that much time prep- preparing for this podcast. So um, why don't we start with the biggest one and also um, the most depressing and frustrating and uh, disappointing one. And that's that's Tony Larusa. Do you want to give the rundown of everything that's happened with the White Sox and Tony Larusa since we last talked? So this story broke on Monday evening. Um, ESPN broke the story that, uh, that Tony LaRusa was arrested for a DUI back in February. Um, fast forward to October 28th, which is a day before um, he's announced uh, as the new White Sox manager. Um, he is, uh, he's charged with two misdemeanors uh, for this DUI. And the uh, White Sox knew about this. This, like, you you don't not know about this. This stuff is public record. This is the kind of thing that usually, I don't know, comes up in the hiring interview. Does for me when I'm interviewing for jobs. Yeah. Well, I guess that you kind of hit on, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head already in just that brief little rundown, but hiring interview is being generous it doesn't really seem like there was one (laughs) it seems like this is jerry reinsdorf white Sox owner run amok so this news breaks everybody it's like baseball twitter's hair has been set on fire and there are a handful of people who are taking this as seriously as it should be there are a handful of people who are getting jokes off because la russa had some very choice quotes in the police report about how he's a baseball lifer and a hall of famer and he's trying to big time the police officer and he's trying to get him to let him off the hook and he's saying that he only had a glass of wine before he started driving and I just want to say like this is the most baseball in 2020 story that you can possibly imagine it's like it's like old money set in his way owner sets sights on one guy that he wants to hire and give an opportunity to. And the one guy comes with a whole lot of baggage that would immediately disqualify a number of people who deserve the opportunity and should have the opportunity and have been categorically left out of having the opportunity. And he ends up getting the job anyway. And it's just so, it's just so disappointing to people who like give a shit, like to people who think anything matters. Like if you don't care about this, you must think that nothing at all matters and that there's no difference between good and bad and there's no morals in sports at all and I feel I feel just so I felt bad for White Sox fans before and I feel even worse for White Sox fans now and honestly the way that this process was handled the, the sham process that went into Tony La Russa getting hired like a week after the World Series ended and no other candidates who were looking for their first opportunity even getting a real fair shake like I know I said this on Twitter and I know it probably seems like an overreaction or at least it seems like the most obvious reaction for this podcast to have. But like if I'm a player 
or if I'm me sitting here talking about the situation, I would fully support players just being like, yeah, we're not coming to play for this guy. And I know that would be a breach of the CBA. And I know that would be considered a wildcat strike or whatever. And they would risk whatever. But if they really said, I'm not playing for this guy, I feel like the, I feel like Reinsdorf would bend before like, are you saying like, like current players, like members of the current White Sox team? Yeah. And I don't want to put that on them. Like, I don't think that's their responsibility and it shouldn't have to be. But like, if they were to do that, I would support it. Because at this point, it's just like such a transgression on behalf of the organization against everybody who's actively invested in this team. Yeah, this is just like one of those situations where it's like, well, all of this could have been avoided with a little bit bit of due diligence. As you mentioned, there are so many qualified managerial candidates out there for whom this would get them tossed out of the the whole process, right? Having this kind of black mark um, on your, not even something that, you know, happened five or 10 years ago, but which like, it also happened to him 10 years ago or 15 well, years ago. Or whatever. This that, is not the yes. first time that this happened to him. And I should also say, before you continue, like the actual act of it by La Russa is fucking ridiculous. And I, yes. I, I almost feel like that doesn't, like part of me feels like that doesn't even need to be said in 2020, but it obviously does need to be said in 2020 because here we are sitting here talking about Larusa doing this and saying dumb shit to the cop. Like I only had one glass of wine, as if like he didn't get breathalyzed. Like, don't fucking drink and drive. Don't drink, drink and drive. It's not hard yeah. at all. It's never been easier to not drink and drive, and yet people are still doing it. It just goes to show you how out of touch and wrong and stupid he is. Like it's just I don't know. <laughs> I don't know insert adjective here yeah it sucks i like there is no more like plain straightforward way to put it i really i feel for white Sox fans um and it's a really it's a really sour way to start off the off season too uh what we we shouldn't do is um is uh you know pull pull an old Bob Nightingale and there we go. Uh, there we and go. start and start wondering if like a night in jail is going to uh is even going to be that bad for the White Sox you know comes during spring training like what's the what's the worst that could how will Tony Larusa's uh, jail time from his DUI arrest um, affect the Chicago White Sox twenty twenty one Twenty five man roster. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and Alex is alluding to an interview that Bob Nightingale gave on, I think, like a local podcast or a local radio station or whatever, um, saying that if you think about it, he's like, obviously what Larusa did was bad. But <laughs> it's like that <laughs> sentence should never have a but. But last year during spring training, Cubs manager David Ross had the flu and he missed three whole days. And it's like that's not what we're talking about here. We're not concerned about him missing time managing, like him not being able to come to the ballpark. We're concerned about him being in charge of the team and not even being able to be in charge of his own responsibilities in terms of like public safety. Yep. That's where we are. Yeah. Put a, uh, put a bookmark in this, uh, in these last two weeks um, when this shit just absolutely blows up in their face. I mean, it's already blown up in their face, but you know, when they underperform their uh, their expected like wins by fifteen games and completely miss the playoffs, and Larusa's out by August, like 
And I guess that's the final bow on this in that many reporters have already come out and said that that the White Sox don't consider this a fireable offense. So that's that's uh, that's Jerry Reinsdorf for you. What should we move on to next, Alex? That one went kind of longer than we were expecting, you know? Should we rob yeah. Manfred pitch clock this? Yeah, I the know. Next, I the think next we... few? <laughs> um, you only have 20 seconds to talk about uh, Steve Cohen. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, okay, so let's move talking from talking about um, one evil hairless cat stroking owner to, um, to a maybe slightly less evil? What? Question mark? <laughs> Question mark. Jury is still out. Uh, Steve Cohen, whose uh, sale to the Mets was officially approved by owners. He is... And offici- Bill de Blasio. Don't leave Bill de Blasio Bill out. de Blasio, who really just wanted to get a piece of the action. He was like, oh, we talking New York? We're talking... We're talking New York here? We're talking over here? <laughs> Nobody who doesn't live in has not lived in New York knows who the fuck we're talking about. But New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio had to get his last little word. Hey, and, and presidential candidate Bill de Blasio, lest you forget. I'm sorry, Bill. Sorry, Bill. You, along with um, Howard Schultz and <laughs> um, I don't know who else dropped out quite Tom that early. Steyer. Tom Steyer. Lincoln Chafee was 2016, but I just wanted to get a chance to throw in our man Lincoln again. Okay, yeah, Steve Cohen. I made you awkwardly explain everything that's happened in the Tony La Russa thing, so I will awkwardly explain everything that's happened in Steve Cohen's world since we last spoke. As you said, finalized his sale to the Mets. He is now the official owner and the CEO of the New York Mets organization. Goodbye to the Wilpons. Um, I've said my piece about them. Since that day, which was a Friday, he completely cleared house of the front office. He fired every single executive that they had, including Brody Van Wagenen and Omar Manaya. The Brody Van Wagenen era is over. We don't even have time to fucking talk about that. I know. Rip, we hardly knew ye, Brody. Literally, we hardly <laughs> knew ye. Um, he gave a, a very positive press conference. He officially hired Sandy Alderson again as like the, um, I don't know, like president of baseball operations type role, something to that effect. Um. He gave a press conference, a very positive, optimistic press conference in which he said the word processes a lot. And he talked about how he wants to replicate the Dodgers system. And he wants, <laughs> good luck, my friend. He wants to um, run it not to make money, but he makes money at 0.72, which is his investment firm. And he wants to um, treat the Mets organization as a place where like, he can win and he can give back to the fans and all of this stuff. And essentially, like, you know, quote unquote public trust model that we have talked about as like the owners mythologizing of the way that they treat baseball like they they are not in it to make a lot of money and they're just in it to you know do it for the fans do it for the community um Marcus Stroman then accepted his qualifying offer for 18.9 million dollars to come back and he had nice things to say about Cohen and wanting to come back to play for an organization that is invested in him and and then today as we record this on Thursday, um, Noah Syndergaard released a video of himself throwing off a mound and, and Steve Cohen all along has been super online, tweeting through it, tweeting at Stroman, tweeting at Syndergaard, tweeting with fans, all of that stuff. So that's everything with the Mets. That's everything with Cohen. My general feeling about this is that the amount of optimism for the Mets organization and for Steve Cohen 
is a gigantic red flag for me. And I know I sound like a wounded animal and that like my body attacks optimism like it's a virus, but there is a chance that all of this is lip service, right? Like I'm not just hedging. Yeah, I mean, he is saying all the right things, right? Like credit to him. He is going out there and saying everything you would want a new owner to be saying. Because again, like he he wants to... I think he understands the situation that he's walking into where the ownership of this baseball team has just absolutely demolished the the trust between themselves and the fans. And I think he recognizes that and he recognizes that there is space for someone to come in and swoop in and be the the hero, you know, that brings the Mets back to the light. And it's it's hard to know what to make of it because it's the kind of thing that as a baseball fan, you never really hear from the front office. Um, and even when you yeah, do t- hear it, like it's been passed through so many different PR teams that like it doesn't so, so that you can like water it down and wiggle your way out of it out of a loophole in the future. Like it doesn't really feel genuine anymore in the way that like him just going up there in his very first press conference and on Twitter and everything still kind of honestly does feel a little genuine. Yeah, so it's like I don't know. We'll we'll see. He he said World Series in 3 to 5 years. Sure. Uh sure. You know, when when uh when a a noted Brody Van Wagenen came in to the Mets GM spot, he said uh he said he wanted a World Series every year. So World Series every year now and in the future. World Series every year now in the future. Yep. Didn't happen for poor Brody, but maybe maybe Steve can bring one home for him. I do think though the one part of his because I went back and I watched the highlights of his press conference. I didn't get a chance to watch it live. I know that may seem like Mets fan sacrilege since I've been waiting for this moment since I was like sentient enough to understand that the Wilpon Scott conned in the Birdie Madoff scandal. But I was like driving through a mountain and didn't have service um i went back and i listened to the highlights and the one thing that he did say which is like tougher to wiggle out of and honestly makes me feel like the other owners being skeptical of him was for a reason was that like he said we're a big market team like no he made no bones about it he was like we're a big market team we are going to spend commensurate with a big market team like you can draw a straight line to payroll at that point like you can say this is what the Dodgers spend this is what the Red Sox spent this is what the Yankees across town spend this is what like the World Series Phillies teams spent these are the contracts that are going to Angels players since they're kind of a big market team even though they suck that part of it, it's like okay all right now now we're talking now we're playing fucking hardball let's do it and I'm at least optimistic in that respect um, I just don't trust it. I just don't trust it. I I don't know why I would ever trust a billionaire at face value. Like, why would I? That's the that would basically like delete the backlog of this entire podcast if I was just like, yeah, Steve Cohen, open arms, let's do it. Like, <laughs> that this podcast wouldn't exist if I was that type of person. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, I'm I'm holding out hope that he's like kind of obnoxious and shitty in like a good way if that makes sense you know where he's kind of like all right 
you, the rest of you 29 teams clearly are not interested in going out and making good baseball teams. You wait for them to come to you. So we will capitalize off of that, right? Which is yeah. like what what any smart owner should be doing right now is this market is devastated because teams aren't really interesting in signing players. We should just take advantage. The new market inefficiency, once again, is like teams not trying to win. And yeah. if you're an, if you're a new owner, you're like, yeah, I'll eat that shit up. Yeah. Well, you've been saying that on this podcast for years. Like the new the market inefficiency is signing good players, which is like the dumbest thing that you could say at face value. But if you delve into it and you look at the nuance of it, you're 100 percent right. And if there is an owner who has a Wall Street mindset, I hate to say it, but who has a Wall Street mindset and comes in and identifies that as the inefficiency, then yeah, maybe that is his fucking business model because he is going to make money if they win. And he's going to make money if they lose, too. So, like, why not win while doing it? Even if you make slightly less, you know? Because he's making, and he said this in his press conference, he's making so much money from his other businesses. Like, he's already the richest owner in baseball. So, the franchise is going to appreciate the way that we've talked about a lot in the last 10 months with regard to how we talk about revenue versus profit versus franchise value and how much of that money should be going to the owners and how much of that money should be going to the players and should the players have to subsidize this loss this year with losing part of their salary and all of that stuff. Steve Cohen knows all that stuff. So like, I'm excited. To put it in two words, I'm excited. It's a good time to be a Mets fan. That's, wow, wow. I'm making that my ringtone. Let's go. Real quick, before we move off this. Mets or Yankees? Who wins the World Series first? <laughs> do you? I'm, do you want me to be honest, Bobby? Yeah, I want you to be honest. Um, I think I probably the Yankees, but only because they're already. I think they already have the infrastructure set up for that kind of thing. You know, like sure. they're there. They're you know they're a couple free agent signings away from like doing the damn thing. But who knows? There are also Stranger a couple of Aroldis Chapman's Chapman meltdowns away from doing it. But um, <laughs> hopefully that never stops. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say the Mets. Let's do it. Let's ride, baby. Put me Hell on yeah. record. Mets winning the World Series before the Yankees. Okay, let's move on. Next topic. Right. Um, so the Dodgers have five positive tests. Or they had five positive tests last week. Kind of exactly like we uh, we said they would. Remember when Justin Turner was infected and on the field and everybody was like, oh, he just wants to celebrate with his teammates and he's been with the franchise for so long and all of us were like, cool, but he's going to infect a bunch of people. Um, it turns out he infected a bunch of people. We turned it over to Alex, the um, the in-house epidemiologist. Alex, what's your take? <laughs> who uh, who could have seen this this coming? I this, mean, uh, how's nobody. That? Absolutely nobody. I mean, it's just so... Um, it's out of left field, so to speak. Or more like out um, of the dugout with nobody to stop them. So, oh, hey, <laughs> jokes. <laughs> um, so yeah, five positive tests. Um, I, I think like a couple days later, that number had grown to nine positive tests. Um, it, it's worth noting that supposedly a majority of these tests are from people who were outside the quote-unquote bubble. Take that for what you will. I th- I think what I enjoyed most about this was 
the the kind of Friday news dump aspect of this. This happened the the evening before um, Joe Biden. The news network started calling him as the you know the winner of the election, right? So this Wait, is the like, presidential election. Yeah, I there there was one a few days ago, I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, All right, I'll look yeah. up. I'll look that up. Yeah, after. you should you should check it out. There's some cool stuff there. Okay. Um, it was like you know Friday news dump of all news dumps because first first came the statement actually the three different statements that were like combined three thousand words. Basically, yeah, that was absolving, like a New Yorker article. It it really was like a New Yorker article. It basically absolved Justin Turner. It was MLB saying we did our investigation. Um, Shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have done with the, what he did, but we've, you know, we've dealt with it. MLB and, said no uh, punitive no, justice, bro. Yeah, zero punitive justice. Which, so, I know, I think we said this last episode, but like, what were the protocols for then? Yeah. What was, that's a little thing in the baseball world that we like to call eyewash, Alex. You want to explain the concept of eyewash? <laughs> no, you explain the concept of eyewash. I don't even fucking get it, but like, <laughs> I just know it when I see it. And this is eyewash. It's like the idea that like you do something to make it seem like you're doing something. Like y- you are doing it for show. It's all a fucking charade. And basically, everything MLB did with COVID this year was eyewash. Because remember the wet rag? Nobody used it. Remember the no spitting? Do you remember that? That Yeah, I thought about it every time that I watched someone spit during the playoffs, especially when they were supposedly like in a bubble and like upping the protocol so that we could continue so that we could continue and then finish the playoffs. But remember when like we couldn't throw the ball around the horn after a strikeout and then like two thirds of the time the catcher would forget and still throw it down to third and then the third baseman would be like, oh, I'll just get rid of this ball like. That was fun. That was eyewash. Um, what what to say? What to say about the Dodgers? What to say about Rob Manfred? What to say about like you're so right in that? What what are the protocols even for? Because I don't know why anybody would take any of the protocols next year seriously if they're just not gonna suspend Justin Turner. Yeah. Or my penalize the Dodgers organization in any way at all. My my favorite part of this statement was Rob Manfred saying, look, this isn't Justin Turner's fault. He had a lot of his teammates encouraging him to go back out to the field. Like, man, if I could have used that excuse in like middle school <laughs> or high school for shit I did, no, it's not my fault. I have really bad influences. I'm yeah. really susceptible to peer pressure. Yeah, Rob Manfred never me. took dare, bro. <laughs> Just say no. Just say no, Justin Turner. I don't even know what I would have wanted to come from this necessarily. Like, I don't really think that I would have felt good if Justin Turner got suspended for five games and then we just all moved on from it necessarily. Yeah. But the thing that's disappointing is that, like, if you absolve Justin Turner, but then also don't reckon with how you failed, then you're just shrugging your way through the problem. And it's just so harmonious with how the rest of the nation has handled the pandemic. You're like, well, it's not my fault and it's not their fault. So it's no one's fault. So let's just do nothing about it. 
And it's so sad to watch it happen in our sport because we're just also watching it happen. Like at the fucking grocery store and at gas stations. And let me tell you, there's a lot of states in this country where the pandemic doesn't exist. It does exist, but it doesn't exist to them. Yep. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? It's like, these are humans who, as you just said, are living in a country where a lot of people don't take this stuff so seriously. So we want to look at baseball players and say, you know, you should, you should, you know, be a role model. There are kids watching, right? But it's like, these are just human beings who are making the same choices that like a hundred million people are making every single day. We just happen to be watching them on television when they do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nothing else to say about this. Let's move on. What's next? Do you want to move on to the next news dump? I know it's your turn to pick, but the other news dump of that week was um, our friends in Boston. <laughs> yes. Let's, uh, should we talk when Alex Cora? Oh, uh, wow. Who could have seen this one coming? Should I go back and find the part of multiple podcasts in the last month where I was like, Alex Cora is definitely coming back to Boston? Otherwise, they would have said Alex Cora is not coming back to Boston. Like, you know, if you're not if you're not going to bring him back, you don't even consider bringing him back. Yeah. Because why would you have even hired him in the first place? You loved him. He won you a fucking World Series in his first year as a manager. And then if you bring him back to interview him again, he's obviously going to get the job. So Alex Cora is back. Yeah. Dropped on that same, very same Friday. I don't know if you guys heard. There was a presidential election going on this week. Um, so, you know, there were some other things going on. May have gotten buried in the news, but um, again, what to say? We knew this. We knew this would happen. I thought I would have stronger feelings about it, and I kind of don't. Like I have, there has been so much shit that has happened over the last few weeks that, like, I'm I'm not going to be the guy who's like, well, it's time for us to just get over the cheating scandal. But like you should be that a, guy. That would human, be a good persona for you. As a human, the very being, laid back I, Alex should be like, stop being so triggered by the Astros cheating scandal. You should go full Bauer on us. We've passed well, forty five minutes. I can say his name. I'm just like I'm so tired of a lot of things, and like this is something I was tired about eleven months ago. So I don't know. My heart's not in it. If if you if you understand what I'm saying. I mean, it's very hypocritical of the Red Sox, right? Like to bring the guy back who they fired because of the cheating scandal, because they were like, yep, yeah, he he just he can't lead our ball club anymore. He's just not the guy for the job. Wasn't he suspended for a year, so they had to fire him anyway? Yes. So this is their formal way of disagreeing with the suspension. They're sticking it to Rob. We should support this. That was some galaxy brain shit by me. That was some galaxy brain stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's fine. You know what? Like they already had a process where they vetted him and hired him and he did a good job and he commanded respect within the organization. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, like I don't think that this should be a lifetime sentence for Cora or Hinch. Now the Hinch hiring, like we can quibble with because he went to a new franchise who didn't get to give anyone else a chance either. Like, they fired their manager, Ron Gardenhire, a few months ago. They, they hired him, so they didn't actually hire him, but they called him hours after the World Series ended, hours after his suspension was lifted. That's not an equitable process. That's not what we're asking for. But at least with Alex Cora, they, they and the Red Sox, they technically did interview new people, 
And he had an equitable hiring process when he got hired to start with the Red Sox. It's the same franchise. Like, I understand it a little more. The part of the Alex Cora thing that I identified and singled out was when he said that he, quote, didn't bring anything from Houston to Boston because he didn't feel like they needed it in Boston. It's like, oh, so you feel like you felt like the Astros needed it? The Astros with like seven all-stars in the lineup and like one of the most stacked young cost-controlled teams that we've had in a long time needed the cheating scandal. But suddenly you went to Boston and you decided that they didn't they didn't need it. That's. That's what I would call convenient, Alex. What do you think about that? <laughs> do you think well, he decided like, they didn't need it? Or do you think he was like, oh man, they're hot on my tail. I should probably stop doing this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the latter, but that's just a guess. Also, like, there are so many players around the league who got implicated in this scandal, right? Like m- a multitude of coaches and like front office person. Like, bite the bullet on this one. People are going to think you cheated whether you own up to it or not. So, but you'll look like a marginally better guy if you don't lie about it. What is the what is the line to toe there though? Like he can't just be like, yeah, we cheated full on the same exact way as we did in Houston cuz then it would be like it would open up an entirely new investigation cuz that was not what Rob was there to do. He yeah. let we know that he let the Red Sox off the hook. The Apple Watch thing, Cora's involvement, how that scheme may have moved from Houston to Boston. We know that they didn't look that hard into that because they find the Red Sox and the Red Sox allegedly stopped. We know that they kind of let the Yankees off the hook because there's some documents that are classified that we still haven't seen or heard about or no one's reported about, about them stealing signs. We know that there are other teams too. And we know that it was not just Houston and Boston and New York. But like, what is Alex Cora supposed to say? Should he have been like, yeah, I came over we had some conversations about potentially bringing over the uh, historically evil cheating scandal that I um, developed in Houston. And we were like, yeah, it would probably help us. But, you know, it's not worth the risk because we don't want to get anybody suspended. So we just decided in terms of uh, cost benefit, it wasn't quite there. Like then he still seems kind of sleazy. He seems a little <laughs> bit like Lou now. I guess I've just come to expect that sort of cost-benefit analysis from, like, They've every person you. associated with, ba- you know, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> fuck it. Well, what's the win-loss matrix look like on this one? Yeah, steroids did that to us. Steroids um, ruining baseball when we were just young boys ru- did that to us. The cost-benefit analysis of roiding up and hitting 70 home runs and then getting a massive contract. Yeah. Yeah. Turned out. Cost-benefit analysis was, it ended up being very worth it for a lot of people. Yeah, more benefit than cost. <laughs> oh, I'm not in the Hall of Fame? Cool, I'm A-Rod. I'm still on fucking Fox Sports every single day. Yep. I'm still bidding for teams and whining when I don't get them. <laughs> um. All right, do you have any other thoughts on Alex Cora? No. No. Congrats to him. Congrats to him. He's uh, He's now taking over the worst team in the AL East. He left them World Series champions and he's taking over the worst team in the league. <laughs> let's go let's go straight into Jeff Lunau since we're talking about yeah, cheating. That's where my my head was at as well. Uh Jeff Lunau sued the Astros. <laughs> what is this? Okay. <laughs> Explain this to me like I'm five. Let's do that segment. Explain this to me like I'm five. Because I missed this. I missed the the lawsuit, the stories. I didn't read any of it. It wouldn't have been safe. I was operating a motor vehicle. What the hell happened? I know he gave like kind of some crazy interviews that basically indicated he has zero interest in getting back into baseball. 
because he pissed off too many of the old boys club. So Jeff Lunau is essentially mad that he's been more or less blackballed from the sport and the Astros as an organization got off scot-free, which I mean, I don't agree with Jeff Lunau on a lot of things, but he's not exactly wrong. He essentially said that Rob Manfred and Jim Crane got together, negotiated how these penalties were going to work. And Lunau was the fall guy. Lunau was, was just always going to be the guy who got the boot. Um, it's, I love this so much because it's like the approach of instead of trying to be a firefighter and putting out the fire, you try to like control how the building falls down. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) You try to like set more support beams on fire. So it falls the way that you want it to fall. (laughs) Um, he, he goes on and calls it a quote unquote negotiated resolution. Um, that enabled the team to keep its World Series championship. True, uh, went to great lengths for uh, went to great lengths to publicly exonerate Crane. Uh, also, pretty true. It's like and, in the first uh, paragraph of the write up. Yeah, and scapegoated uh, Jeff Lunau for a sign season scandal that he had no knowledge of and played no part in. That one Likely I'm false. less sold on. Likely false, but uh, but I'll bite Jeff. This, <sighs> yeah. It's a compelling argument because it's the type of thing that Rob Manfred, a lawyer, and Jim Crane, a businessman, would get in a room and figure out, right? Yeah. And Luna was basically suing them because he's like, basically, his argument is, I didn't do anything wrong. It's I a wrongful termination suit, right? Yeah, I didn't do anything. Yes, exactly. It's a It's a breach of contract. He's like, I didn't do anything in my contract that said it was grounds for termination. Right, because once again, he's saying I had no idea about the sign stealing scandal, and Manfred and Crane and everyone else is like, "Well, you should have. This is your organization, dude. Like this one is on you." And he's like, "Well, I didn't. You can't hold me accountable for this." Which I, you know, I respect the grift at the very least. Yeah, they'll probably get a settlement out of this. Yeah. What do you make of the fact that like he doesn't have any interest in working in baseball again? Do you think that he calculated that nobody would hire him anyway after this because it wasn't worth it? Because, like, you don't do this type of thing and then get hired again. Yeah, I mean, you're burning your bridges right now. You're, like, nuking your bridges. You're not, <laughs> This is not just a casual. I mean, yeah, I think that, like, the writing's on the wall for him, right? Yeah. He's, I you think um, now might be a dick, but he's not a dumb guy. Like, think he McKinsey understands how things are... T- <laughs> I mean, yes, the the revolving door goes both ways, if we're being quite honest. Yeah, that's pretty true. I yeah, it seems like he, you know, he's the guy who's who's he understands his time in the room's done, but he's gonna, you know, he's gonna light the fire. It's kind of crazy like how desensitized we have all become to the the whole Astros situation. Everything from the fact that Altuve kind of sucked this year. And we didn't really talk about that all that much. And their former GM, who it was crazy even when he got fired, and now he's suing the organization for a wrongful termination. And he's torching them in the media on radio stations and anywhere that will take his quote. Like, this whole thing has really, really 
really gotten out of Manfred's control. Like he, if the goal was to expedite this process and try to make it seem like he had a good grip on everything going on and try to make it seem like he was going to be able to find a solution out of this that everybody could eventually be happy with, he fucking failed. Because there are so many leaks still spouting out from this ship, you know? Yeah. And, you know, who's to say it ends here? Like, these are still, the players are still playing baseball. Like, there are still other stories that could come out, other suits that could come out, other employees who could be fired or could, I don't know. There's a lot of redemption tours going on here. And remains to be seen um, who's will actually be successful. I remember when we thought this would dominate the conversation yeah. this year, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, it just, I mean, now that, now that it's off season, we got nothing to talk about. I guess, I guess it will. It just makes me think back to when we first started talking about this and everybody was crushing Manfred, not for the punishments, not being good enough and not for, you know, not knowing that this was going on, but not for nipping it in the bud when he had the chance. Like he gave them less than a slap on the wrist when he first found out about this and then he let it slide and then they they went on to continue to do it for 2017 for the rest of 2017 and and maybe beyond like who even knows if they stopped in 2018 or if they were doing it in 2019 because i bet you if we had sean doolittle here off the record he would think that um his pitches were being tipped to the astros in the world series I'm not going to speak for Sean, but like, I bet you if we ha- we were in the room with him hanging out, like him and the rest of that Nationals pitching staff would have a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. Where is the lie? If any, uh, if any pitchers want to come on to uh, to our podcast and say that you felt personally victimized by the Houston Astros, let's go. The line is always open. Tipping pitches burn book edition. All right, you got anything else on Jeff Lunau? I don't. I don't. I. I don't either. Let's move on. Uh, you pick. You pick. Let's uh, let's talk Frankie, huh? Okay. Little Frankie Lindor. Okay. Where are we going with this? Well, apparently the business of baseball is not very good. A- and again, you wouldn't know it based on you know recent business dealings within um, the sport of baseball. But uh, Cleveland, the Cleveland baseball team, is apparently strapped for cash right now. Yeah, like they. I mean, they are really. And it sucks because I like to see small businesses do well. And I know a lot of small businesses have been hurting um, in this economy. And, you know, we have to hope that they don't go out of business real- realistically. Yeah. Um, that would be a bummer. 29 teams would be tough for scheduling purposes. I'm yeah, just trying to think like be. Rob. You know, it's like very hard to. Yeah. It's very hard to reschedule games these days. You know, <laughs> ask Dom Smith, ask the Mets, ask Brody. Speaking of that, Brody, you can come on the pod if you're listening. <laughs> we are uh, we're talking about this because the news has trickled out as it has over the last like two years at this point that Cleveland is intent on trading Francisco Lindor this offseason. Um, he made about seventeen and a half million uh, this past year. And is set to make around 21 million in the coming year. And they're saying we can't afford that. Now, 
he made 17 and a half million. He made half of that, or he made like a third of that or whatever, whatever the adjust COVID adjusted. That was his full season salary, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He made the daily equivalent of 17 and a half million. Cleveland has like next to no money tied up long-term. Like they're doing just fine in terms of how much money they have committed to guys. Because, because they do this shit, right? Because they trade their cost-controlled players yeah. for young prospects. So, like, the idea that they're unable to, like, you know, find room for this in the budget is <sighs> false. I, like, you know, we sound like a broken record at this point. Yeah. But but I don't don't believe what the owners are telling you but, at, at Bob Nightingale. Right. The thing is that that Cleveland is trying to tell a different story than the one that they're actually playing out. Like they're trying to tell the story that if they trade their cost-controlled players, they will be able to keep a solid team forever and you will always have young stars that have been developed from home and the fans will be able to connect to because they came up with the organization and they did well, right? Like this has been their MO since you and I have been following baseball closely, you bring up a star, you bring up a CC Sabathia, you bring up a Jose Ramirez, you bring up a Francisco Lindor, you bring up a Corey Kluber, like any of these guys who they've developed, that has been the story that they've told. But they're conveniently leaving out that the guys that they want to, that they should be building their team around forever the guys that they're creating enough salary space to keep around that one contract that should be at the center of this model. They're also not giving that contract out either. So if I'm a fan, I can trust that the team is doing the right thing. If they traded away Mike Clevenger so that they had enough room to pay Francisco Lindor. But if they traded away Mike Clevenger so that they had enough room to then trade away Mike to, to then trade away Francisco Lindor, then what was it all for? Like, what was what was losing Mike Clevenger before the playoffs for? Yeah, why are did you they saving do that? money more? What are you saving money for at this point? Exactly, you're saving a money. Store run. You're like, saving money to not run a baseball team anymore. Yeah, you're saving money to not try to win, like actively not try to win. Francisco Lindor is their best player. Like he is the guy that you go after for ten years. He's yeah. their Mookie Betts. He's their Manny Machado, dude. Like. This is exactly what the Orioles did. They were like, oh, we're coming out of our competitive window. We've been just over 500 for however many years. And like, we're never going to do it with this core. That's fine. You're never going to do it with the core of Machado, Britain, fucking whoever else was even on the Orioles in those years. Chris Davis. (laughs) Yeah, Chris Davis. Like, you're never going to do it with that core. Fine. Maybe make a slightly different core around the guy who's 25 and has put up more war to this point than any other third baseman in baseball history. Maybe make a different core around the shortstop who is the likely face of baseball next to Fernando Tatis Jr., who consistently has great seasons and connects with the city in a way that no other player has been able to do in a really long time. Like, yeah, it's, it's not that hard. Like, it's not rocket science to just keep the best player on your team if you can. Yeah. And, and like, I don't want to be naive about this. Like, stars get traded. Like, it, it had, you know, like teams 
go through ebbs and flows. They they go through periods of time where they say, we have a good player. We are not very good right now. It makes no sense to hold on to him. Um, I get it. Stars get traded. I'm I'm an A's fan. Like, trust me. But Damn. it is... <laughs> Them. It is the there. the whole like trading stars repeatedly so that you can kind of remain competitive. Just like I don't know, dare I say, doesn't work. Like I don't know, maybe that's taking it too far. But the Indians have been in this thing for a few years now, in large part due to the fact that they had guys like Francisco Lindor and. Jose Ramirez and Mike Clevenger and Kluber, right? Like these guys who they are now offloading for young prospects. So like, like you said, if you're ending up just trading each one of these guys, you know, in at three month intervals or whatever, then it's a little hard to see what you're actually building for beyond a team that isn't spending more than 50 million on payroll in a given year. You can't dangle a carrot in front of the fan base if there's no carrot to dangle. Like Francisco Lindor, the potential of him being on the team in the future, that's a carrot. The potential of future young stars that you get back in a trade, those are carrots. But if you just trade Francisco Lindor with one year left, like you're getting the equivalent of Alex Verdugo. Cool. Not really a carrot to dangle in front of the Boston Red Sox fan base. I'm sorry. Alex Verdugo, good player. Good player. Good player and received a lone fifth place MVP vote. Good for him. Lest you forget. Sorry. How many uh, MVP votes did Mookie Betts get? <laughs> More than one fifth place vote. I'll just answer that question for you. <laughs> and how many MVPs has Mookie Betts won already? Like, yeah. There's no there there for, the, for Cleveland. Like, your shtick is up. Like, we already, we get it. We know. You're never going to keep the good players. You're never going to pay for them because you don't want to have a good baseball team. You don't fucking want a good baseball team. You just don't. Like, we are not prospect analysts. We are not quants. We're not sabermetric people. Like, we we like to think of ourselves as educated baseball fans who read all of this stuff, yet we can still identify that trading Francisco Lindor is never going to be a win for the team. It's never going to be a win for the fan base. It's never going to be any kind of the competitive vision that we wish that team still actually gave even a sliver about all that being said, trade him to the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if I'm a pending free agent or a player who's in trade talks and I watched Steve Cohen's press conference this past week, I'm calling my agent up immediately and saying that team. Yeah, baby, let's do the Mets PR Get right me now. To that team. Yes. <laughs> Let's get a left side of the infield of Francisco Lindor and Nolan Arenado. Disgruntled, mm-hmm. incredible stars who their local teams cry poor and say that they can't afford even though they can. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's a team that everybody can get behind. I'm on board. That's a team that wins the World Series before the Yankees. Trust me on that one. Yeah, facts. All right. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? Let's talk about the MVP. We got, we got three more things. We got three yeah. more things. Let's power oh, yeah. through these. The MVP got given out. Let's go. Let's speed round this one. What do you think? That yeah, it did. Jose Abreu got the MVP. Freddie Freeman Tight. got the MVP. 
these are these are bits of news that actually this is like breaking news. I mean, it won't be when you hear this on Monday. But we but just man, heard if you this. Could, right. If you could hear this pod tonight, oh boy, oh boy, you might not even <laughs> know about this. Yet. You don't have Twitter. <laughs> um, incredible seasons from both of these guys. Abreu is a guy who's just been consistently incredible for like his entire time with the White Sox and has never really gotten the shine for it because he. Well, I don't really know why. Why? Because the White Sox have not been very good and because he's gone back and forth between DH and first base and, and has never really had a big spotlight to shine. But obviously the White Sox spotlight was bigger than ever this year. And it's cool. It's cool to see yeah. Abreu get his due finally. Like he is a bat first, first baseman, like you said, who's bounced back and forth between first base and the DH, not known for his glove and consistently hits like 290 with 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. Like, that shit slapped 15 years ago. Oh, my God. And now, you know, I think teams and writers have moved on from that. Also, like, you know, you play in the same league as Mike Trout your entire life, and you're bound to get overlooked a little bit and MVP voting. And you're like Miguel Cabrera Light, you know? like (laughs) Yeah, that literally is what he is. I think that the other aspect of this that is really cool is that he's only the third Cuban-born player to ever win MVP. And obviously, Cuba's ties to MLB are massive. And an outsized influence on the way that the game is played versus how many players have actually gone on to win MVP. And that's for a million reasons. Um, But he just seems like a great guy. Like Everybody around the White Sox absolutely loves him. And if we're going to get a weird year like this where things don't regress back to the mean necessarily. Like he hit 317, 370, 617. Maybe in a full year, that average is out and he doesn't necessarily have the numbers to beat out a guy like Mike Trout who's playing center field who's going to get a lot of those defensive numbers. But this wasn't a full year and he did show up and the White Sox were a big story this year. And so it just feels fitting for like, in terms of narratively and in terms of he deserved it. And it's cool it's a cool moment to witness, I think. Yeah. I, wow. I'm looking at his stats right now. Dude raked his rookie year. Yeah. 2014, like just, again, the exact same average, 317 over a full year, 36 home runs. Like, I went down a deep dive like just a while ago because I was like, you look at his page and you're like, these box scores are stuffed. My dude just hits left and right. And if he, he's just one of those guys you like dream about a little bit where you're like, damn, what if he'd come over like three or four years earlier? Yeah. You know, like, like, are we talking about him as a, uh, as a potential hall of famer? I mean, again, like he is a, you know, he's had seven years in baseball and he's 33. Like it's not going to happen, but Man could dream. You know? Don't you hate how the baseball Hall of Fame is so stacked and like there's such a convoluted process to get in it that he's a current MVP, has had so many great seasons and has stuffed the box score, and he did a lot of stuff in Cuba too that like he has no chance. Like he just has no shot at all. Yeah, we've had so much baseball history, and the bar is set so high that I know. I don't know. I kind of like I meant that. I like the fact that the Hall of Fame is small, and I like the fact that it's hard to get in. But like. At least uh, not like, no, I was going to go the other direction. I'm like, I want them all to get in. They all did so good. Wow. Everybody all the gets baseball a trophy. Players, yes. Yeah, I'm exact. I'm a participation trophy guy. Yeah, 
They were all in my personal Hall of Fame. Do you think Sean Gilmore didn't get in or no? <laughs> Character clause. Character clause. Character clause. Okay, let's talk about Freddie Freeman for a sec. Freddie Freeman is just a fucking pro. What a pro. What a, what a baseball An player. An absolute baseball player. Capital B, capital P. It's almost like two on the nose that he was the guy who got COVID really bad mm-hmm. and like had a 103.5 fever and then comes back to win MVP. Like I can already smell and taste the stories that are going to be written about this for decades to come and how this is the fucking perfect encapsulation microcosm of the 2020 season. But if you watch Freddie Freeman play baseball and you don't enjoy watching him play baseball, I don't know why you're watching baseball at all. He's just a, he's just a pro. He's just good. He's just a good player. (laughs) I don't know what else to say about him. He seems like a cool guy too. Yeah, seems like a good hang. Seems like he's having a fun time on the baseball field. My also seems like an incredibly intelligent baseball player. I mean, the 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 memory that's seared into my mind and many others, I'm sure, is the spring training game from this year. Sure. Somehow. Uh-huh. Sure. Right? Yep. Where he's mic'd up and he's on first base and whoever's at the plate hits the little pop-up in the center. As soon as the ball leaves the bat, he's like, watch this, boys, I'm scoring. And he just does <laughs> from first base. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. Give me, give me more of this. 341, 462, yeah. 648. Oh, That's yeah. A year. We're, we're reading, we're reading slash lines on the pod, baby. 341. Okay. Ted Williams, let's do it. <laughs> Ted Williams could never in this era. Yeah. Happy, happy for him. Happy for the guy. Big year for underrated baseball players. Uh, yeah, big year for underrated baseball players. Big year for baseball players named after um, pop superstars. Mm-hmm. Is Jose Abreu uh, named after a pop superstar? Uh, I don't know, but he might be. Um, <laughs> of course, I'm referring to <laughs> uh, uh, one Shane Bieber who unanimously <laughs> won oh, the yeah. Cy Young. Uh-huh. Yep. His last name, he's named after Justin Bieber. Uh-huh. Yeah, he is he's named after um after Justin Bieber. Yeah, he yes. changed his last name. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my god. Once again, I'm just like dreaming of what a full season of this shit would look like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Four hundred K's? Oh weirdly. Come on. No, 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 stop. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Here's the thing. Alice okay. is like, small sample? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it's a small sample, but it's, it's close to half a season. Right. So and like, it's like the type of sample that becomes representative relatively early on. Strikeout rate. Like his strikeout rate was ridiculous. Yeah, 400 strikeouts, obviously insane. 500 but, strikeouts? But, but <laughs> maybe saying something that like, you know, the thought flirted across my mind. Like I'm like, Oh yeah, full season we we might have broken every record there was. We like yeah, maybe pencil, pencil him in for three hundred strikeouts. Why not? Just let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah, so I mean Bieber obviously unanimously wins AL Cy Young. I frankly thought that he had a case for AL MVP, but whatever. Jose Abreu came on strong at the end. I think people's. Um, vision of 2020 Shane Bieber is a little tainted by him blowing up against the Yankees in the playoffs. Obviously, these were voted before the playoffs. But let's move on to our next topic because um, the NL Cy Young, I wanted to blow it out into my own topic. Unless there's anything that you want to say about MVPs or awards or Coach of the Year or whatever. 
manager of the year. Sorry, I had basketball brain for a second there. <laughs> Do you got big Don Mattingly takes? No, but Devin Williams is yeah, he's really good. What are the Brewers doing over there? What are, we gotta we gotta s- trade him. Shut it, shut it down, and we can until we can figure this out. <laughs> um, let's talk about Trevor Bauer. Sure, if you if we must. First of all, did you think he should win? We never talked about this. Did you think he should win Cy Young? Because Trevor Bauer did win Cy Young over you, Darvish, and Jacob Degrom. I mean, it's one of those cases where. All right, yeah. So, so like you, Darvish, probably should be the winner of the Cy Young. Like, by looking at almost any metric, he did much better. I think that cases like this raise a really interesting discussion around these award votings where it's a question of, are you grading the player on, like, how well they actually did or how well they should have done? given everything that we know, right? Because you look at you Darvish's numbers and you say, wow, he was stunning this year. I mean, and he had a two ERA, right? So like he's in the running any fucking year. Um, yeah. But, you know, had an outstanding year versus a guy like Trevor Bauer, who, if you look at his BABIP, got really lucky this year and outperformed his peripherals by a good margin. But he had the best ERA. So do you give it to him on the merits of he, you know, had the best ERA? Like, I, like, yeah. I don't know. And he was also, I mean, he was close in other numbers too. Like, he was close in strikeouts. Right. He was close in, I mean, DeGrom and Darvish both had him beat pretty comfortably in strikeouts. But again, like, run prevention is the name of the game when it comes to pitching. Um, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to say in competition. Because Bauer clearly had the easiest um, strength of schedule, and versus um, Darvish was a little tougher, just in the way that his schedule shaked out, shook out. Even though um, he pitched against the Central as well, and then Degrom had the toughest opponents of all of them because he pitched in the East. And I personally think that should matter. No, I don't think it should matter enough to the point that Degrom should have won. I think that Darvish should have won. But I can see the case for any of them, and I can see why Bauer won because he spoke it into existence. Like he came on strong at the end. He performed on the big stage in his last few outings. He was really good. He was better than DeGrom and Darvish were in their last three or four outings. And he created a narrative. Like he came out and he said, I just won the Cy Young with that performance. And he basically said as much and he was defiant and strong-willed about it and guess what people respond to that like media members are humans too like they buy into that narrative just as well as anyone and that's kind of what i want to talk about with you briefly about bauer before we move on because we've had this conversation a lot but the media loves him man like the mainstream like big legacy media like espn and sports illustrated and all of these places like they just they love him and i i don't i don't get it i want to bring up a um a tweet from our friend Bradford William Davis and another one from our friend Mark Normandin. Bradford wrote on Twitter, um, quote tweeting Jeff Passan, who recounted this story about how Bauer grew up in a dingy warehouse and he was nothing special physically and you can train yourself to be great. And 
Bradford said, I can recall every story I've ever heard of a young black athlete told that they were too raw and toolsy to excel at a thinking man's game, pushed off a mound or out of baseball entirely. But the entire sport is mythologized as a six foot one UCLA recruit into Tony Stark because dot 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 he works works hard. And like that's it, man. That's all of it right there. Like, sure, Bauer is not Garrett Cole, but neither is literally anyone else. Garrett Cole is one of one in terms of his physical abilities on how to throw a baseball. Bauer's not like me and you, dude. Like, he can throw hard. His body has the ability. Yeah, he trained himself to do it, but guess what? So did a lot of people. I don't know. Like, him and, frankly, his dad have effectively messaged how hard Bauer has worked and how genuinely groundbreaking he has been in the space to the point where, like, he has straight-up MJ levels of credentials about how he was bad in high school and Michael Jordan like missed the varsity team in his sophomore year and he got cut or whatever. It's like Bauer treats himself like that. I'm like, dude, you've and here's where Mark Normandin points out. He's had two of two good seasons out of his nine MLB seasons. Yeah. And the rest of the time he was pretty below average. Yeah. And his whole rep with the when he was coming up through the Diamondbacks organization was that he was a pain in the ass to work with, right? Yeah. He was like an awful guy to coach. And so I'm kind of like, all right, you don't get to talk about how you're a self-made man when you rejected years of people trying to coach you and say, Hey, we've been doing this a while. Maybe we can help you out. And then you're like, no, fuck that. And then you put up, you know, four bad seasons. And then you're like, look at me started from the bottom. Like, let's go. If by bottom you mean the bottom of the top three picks of the MLB draft, then sure. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Like, it's just so, I'm so tired of it. And it's just going to continue on because, l- listen, here's something that Bradford said that um, really cut through. White members of the media identify with this guy. People who think that they started from the bottom, now they're here, identify with this guy. And they're going to continue to do it. Like, if you look deep enough into the story, anyone who thinks of themselves as a hard worker can see themselves in it. And if you're looking hard enough, good for you. But guess what? Look hard enough for all of the other prospects too. Like, it's not that hard. The story's been told. Let's move on. We don't need to rehash it every time he does something new. Go off. I have nothing else to add. Should we end with, uh, with some minor league news? Yeah, let's end on a, on a because, high note. Because why not? Yeah, let's end on a, on a real, real upper here. Uh, this this past week, new I I will say news broke because it wasn't even exactly broken by the teams themselves uh, that the the New York Mets would be moving their uh, their minor league teams from uh, Columbia, uh, Trenton, and Staten Island to hold on hold on hold on. Don't blame places. this all on the Mets. The Mets are only moving from Columbia and the Yankees are moving from Staten Island and Trenton. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. You're really going to mix up the Mets and the Yankees on this podcast, dude? Hey, man, you're a big market team in New York. I don't know what to tell you. You're right. You're right. We run with the big boys now. You do run with the big boys now. And by run with the big um, boys, I mean run minor league teams out of towns that deserve them and have engaged with them and loved them. <laughs> yep. Yes. That's exactly what is happening. Um, this is not the the last time that this is going to happen. Now, teams move franchises like relatively regularly. So th- this is not them cutting like their short season A team or anything like that. 
and saying, we just, you know, we don't need anything below a ball anymore. But the Trenton Thunder and the Staten Island Yankees supposedly heard about this on Twitter and like through the media. And that's just a really shitty way to treat an organization that you supposedly value. And that is helping develop and nurture players and and employees that are ostensibly important to your organization. Like that's just and not who how you, do you that have shit. cast aside, like systematically yes. cast aside intentionally and just pass yeah. the buck down the line to them to like treat with any respect. Yeah. I'll say I can only speak from personal experience about Trenton Thunder because that was my minor league team that I went to see growing up that that stadium is 10 minutes from my house and it's a really great place to see a ball it's a really great place to see a ball game like you have gone with me and it's that typical minor league vibe where like seven dollar ticket open air classified ads in the outfield really good food you might have a chance to see a top prospect. You might not. Someone might blow up in the first inning and it might become a bullpen game that feels like high school. It's perfect. And the park is really beautiful. And as far as I know, like they've done right by the Yankees. It's a 90-minute ride. It's a 90-minute ride at max down New Jersey Transit. So it's not like they're pulling up their minor league team from like Georgia just so that scouts can go to games easier. It's just bullshit. And they're moving the team like 50 minutes north in New Jersey because it's slightly better financially for them and it's slightly more convenient for them. And all I can say is that I hope that like Trenton gets another affiliation because we talked about this when like minor league baseball was being cut from 42. It was being 42 teams were being cut out of minor league baseball. We talked about the value of being able to see baseball for cheap in communities in terms of developing fan bases and developing strong relationships for the future of the game. But that's exactly what this is. Like it's, it's taking the door that Rob Manfred has swung wide open and allowing teams to just live their fantasy of like moving teams around and not ever considering how that might impact the minor league teams and franchises and communities that they're in. Yeah. And the, uh, the respective owners of the Trenton, and Staten Island franchises had uh, some choice words sure for the, the Yankees brass. Uh, a betrayal yes. was, was used. Uh, the word yes. despicable was, oh. uh, was used as well. Which we Let's go. Off. The Trenton Thunder were stolen in the night. I think that the, uh, the CEO of the Trenton Thunder was like, the Yankees backed out at the 11th hour. That guy was really on one. Yeah, seriously. Good he for was him. feeling his like Edgar Allan Poe. Good for like, him. Stick it to yeah. freaking Steinbrenners. In <laughs> um, all, all seriousness, yeah, this um, shitty way to go about this, especially when you have a longstanding relationship with these teams. And like, I, I don't know. These are real humans who work for you, right? Like you're not just moving around numbers on a spreadsheet. There are people who man these ballparks and, and you're like, do, yeah, the, you're, do the dirty work for you. You're so literally like, like threatening the livelihood of these people like by not telling yeah. them ahead of time either. Because now yeah. is Trenton just going to be like raising their hand for any other team that might need a new ballpark to put their affiliated minor league team in? It's like, 
Or are they just going to become a like an indie ball team? Or are they going to become a college summer league team? That's just not the same. It's not the same. And it's not going to drive the same community engagement for that tri-state area that honestly really respected the Trenton Thunder. This was a cool place to go see a game that wasn't the Phillies and wasn't all the way in New York City and didn't cost you hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the owner even even spoke the music to our ears where he said it seems the Yankees are only focused on trying to cut culturally diverse Trenton down Let's in, go. Favor, in favor of a wealthy higher socioeconomic area somerset oh my owner God. of new jersey geography London. and socioeconomics let's go let's yeah please come on tipping pitches let's get them on the let's, pod let's get it you can't start a fire you can't start a fire without a spark this guns for higher even if we're just dancing in the dark okay alex that was all nine we're officially caught up we've thrown the complete game it took longer than we expected. More the yeah, pitch Rob count. Rob Manfred is a little bit upset about that um, pace of play. Yeah, here, the pitch count was know. running up, but they left us in old school style. Should have done that with Blake Snell. Kevin Cash, listen to tipping pitches. <laughs> That's manager of the year, Kevin Cash. Yeah. Oh, so true. So true. I hated all the people who were like, manager of the year. Ha ha. Did you watch the World Series? It's like, come on. Come on. That's, that's come on. Do better. Uh, okay. What's the, what's what's your lasting words of wisdom for the listeners of this fine show? Anything? Um, I can't wait for the Randy Rosarena biopic, which is actually in the works, apparently. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, this was like a conversation that started over the summer, and then they signed the deal like during the World Series. All t- all time buy low. <laughs> For the yes, people doing honestly. the biopic there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, truly. Randy is yeah. dope. He he's a he's a guy and I uh yeah. I'll watch ninety minutes on him. I can't wait to see what team he plays for in five years, because it won't be the Rays. <laughs> yeah. You guys better get moving on production if you wanna stay up to date <laughs> with his <laughs> with what's on the front of his jersey. Okay, thank you for listening. Uh we will be back to our every Mondays uh our every Monday cadence after this. Um, next Monday we're going to have a very special guest and we know that you will enjoy it and uh, until then thanks for listening hello everybody Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that I love the most so we'll see you next week see ya